Let's get ready to, to hear the word, and, and it's going to be a bit abbreviated probably today because of the time, although I'm, I'm not, I know we're not slaves to time, and certainly if the Lord leads, we could go to 2.30, that'd be fine, um, but uh, I also know that people have their thresholds, and uh, so, you know, I, I, Jesus understood how much the disciples could hear and how much they'd be able to hear later, and so... I, I want us to be filled up today, but I want us to receive from that. And so let's turn to the book of Titus. And I just want to read to you um, this simple but powerful encouragement exhortation. He's actually writing, when Paul's writing this, he's not writing it to the church per se. He's writing it actually to Titus. And Titus is pastoring a group of people who are not the finest group of people. Um, I don't know if you've read the entire book of Titus. It's very easy. You could read it in only a few minutes. It's just one chapter. Um, or I mean, not one chapter. It's just, but it's just, it's very short. And um, in Titus, there's this, <laughs> there's a statement that he says straight out. And he says, you know, people say that the Cretans and uh, Titus was pastoring a church in Crete. He said, he said, people say they're lazy sluggards. Um, they're, they're good for nothing. And, and you'd think that that's the point where he says, but you have to see the good in them. But Paul doesn't say that. He says, they're right. Your church, your, the place that God's called you to pastor is full of a bunch of lazy, evil, sluggish people. That's, that's great, isn't it? Would, would you love for someone to write me a letter that says that? Brother Jonathan, you've been called to Lloyd Minster. And Lloyd Minster is full of lazy people. It's full of liars and, and gluttons. And I mean, nobody would like that, but that's, that's how it starts. But don't you know, wherever we start, God takes us from that place and takes us where he wants us to be. And we can be transformed. We can be changed. We can be renewed. We don't have to be what we've always been. And so in Titus here, we're going to just go, um, and I'm going to start in Chapter 2, verse 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Now, that's important. That's what the grace of God does. It teaches us how to live different. It empowers us to live different. So the grace of God has appeared teaching us, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly. So when he says salvation has come, he's not just saying you're going to heaven, even though you are. What he's saying is you're being saved from your old life as well. You're being saved from the bondage of the, of the, of the past, the way you used to live. You're, you're being rescued from that. So many people, we know that we've been saved from the consequences, but I want you to be, know you've also been saved from the bondage of it. You haven't just been saved from the consequences of sin, you've been saved from the bondage of sin so that you've been rescued so you can serve God. And that is a wonderful thing. So let that salvation flow in us today. 
Let's receive that salvation and say, I've been rescued from my old way. I've been rescued from my old life. I've been rescued from my old habits. I've been rescued from a wicked generation. Jesus rescued us. Peter says this as he stands up on the day of Pentecost. He says, and, and, and after this, actually, when there were many believers that were coming to the Lord, he says, and it says he urged them many times in many different ways, be saved from this wicked and perverse generation. God wants to save you from your culture. God wants to, to save us from our old worldview. And so here's what he says. He says, I want you to instruct them to do this. And then he says, we should be, he says, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also were once foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Hear this. He, he points out where you were coming from. Remember, he told them, hey, treat everybody with love and respect. Like, look at people as something valuable that God's given because we all were once like that. We were all deceived. We were all enslaved. We were all rebels. But then he says this. But when the kindness of God appeared. Kindness is a tricky word. And it's not a word that we use a lot in reference to God. We, we speak of his goodness, his love. But kindness could best be described. This word that's used here is best. My best understanding is that I, I understand it best by its opposite. The opposite of this is severity. Is cutting something short. Kindness is the fact that God could have reacted harshly towards us, but instead he reacted kindly towards us. He could have lost his patience, but instead he had great patience. He could have treated us like rebels, but instead he treated us as friends. And when the kindness of God appeared, he saved us. Look at, look at this. When his kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared. Don't you understand that Jesus was the appearance, was the manifestation of kindness and love of God. And when he appeared, he saved us. He saved us. It's just as simple as that. When his kindness and his love appeared, he saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we've done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for all men. 
So he just got finished telling you, you didn't get saved on the basis of your good deeds. But then he says, now that you know the kindness of God, now that you know the salvation of God, now that you know you've been regenerated and renewed by the Holy Spirit, be careful to engage in good work. Be careful to engage in what God's called you to. What does careful mean? So many, some of you came out of, uh, uh, of a movement where, you, where we, we thought that it was a bad thing to say, be careful. Because we said, well, we cast our cares on him for he cares for us. Well, that cares means anxieties, worry. He's not telling you to worry, but he's telling you to take care, be careful. That means don't treat it lightly. Don't just let it slide. Put your heart to it. Put your mind to it. Be careful to engage. Now, the Bible says this in Ephesians, and it's also talking about the kindness of God. It says, well, in fact, let's turn there. Just real quick and and hold your place in in Titus if you could. If you've got a, a bookmark a ribbon, a finger. If anybody has a finger, use your finger. If anybody doesn't have any fingers, let's have prayer for you that you could grow some fingers. You laugh, but it's happened. I've been there when digits have grown out. That is the most amazing thing. Anyways, let's move on. Ephesians 2. Among them too, verse 3, among them too, we all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In kindness toward us. For by grace you've been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no man may boast. For we are his workmanship. We've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Here's the thing, and this is what's cool about it, is that God created you for good works, and he also created the good works for you. It's a marriage made in heaven, literally. God created you for something, and he created that something for you. So anytime you think I'm not qualified, you have to know you're not just qualified. Our qualification comes from him. It's not just that you're qualified. You were made for this. You were made for this life. You were recreated for this life. And no matter what weaknesses and disability whether it's an emotional disability, physical, spiritual, whatever we bring to the table that says I can't, we have to remember his power is made perfect in our weaknesses. Where he, we are weak, he is strong. Therefore, we will say I am strong through him. Now, here's the great thing is that there is that kindness. And as we understand the kindness of God, we respond to the kindness of God. He was kind to me. What does that mean? What does it mean to say God was kind to me? It means he had every right to kick me out. He had every right to say, I can't use you, I won't use you. 
but he was kind to me. He reached out and he pulled me out of mud and he washed me off and he put new clothes on me. Then he put a ring on my finger. You remember the prodigal son came home from that nasty pig pen and he comes home and he says, I'm not worthy to be your child. I'm not worthy to be your son. Let me be a slave. Let me be a servant. I'll just work for you because I'm not worthy to, to come back to a place as your son. And the father not only cleans him off, but he puts a, a ring on his finger. That ring isn't just jewelry. That ring isn't just some nice bling that he can wear around and say, look, daddy loves me. That ring meant he had the authority of the family. As long as he wore that ring, he could make decisions with the weight of his father's credibility, with the weight of his father's authority. So God, the father didn't just let him back in and say, you can sleep in my house. The father trusted him and said, I want you to act on my behalf. Same thing happened with Joshua the high priest. He was given a turban. He was given a ring. He was given a robe. God doesn't just take your dirty clothes off. He not only puts clean clothes on you, but he gives you the right to act as his children. You say, well, what is the job of a child? Just to receive the love of God. Yeah, but then if you look through the New Testament, he's not just talking children like little kids' children. He speaks of you as sons and daughters. In fact, he speaks of you as the first, with the rights of the firstborn, even though we know Jesus is above all things. He gives us the rights of firstborn sons. And in the Bible, in, the, in, in, in those times, in that culture, that meant you had a great deal of authority. Because you would, you would take on the family business. You would act with your father's authority. God didn't just call you to, to, to be clean as in not dirty. He called you to be clean because he's got a task for you. He's got a life for you. And so we respond to the kindness of God by saying, Lord, I know that you've been kind to me. But watch what it says in Titus. It says he saved us. And how did he save us? I want you to turn back there, and I'm going to read it again for you, just so you can catch this. In verse 5, he saved us. Or let's read verse 4. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we've done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. He saved you, and here's how he did it. He washed you. He regenerated you, which means he gave you life again. And he renewed you by the Holy Spirit. I want you to see in that verse, salvation was not just a ticket to heaven. Salvation was a complete transformation. He saved us, not just by covering our sin, but by changing us. So I've been saved from hell, yes. But I've also been saved, not just from something, but to something. Salvation is not just about after you die. Salvation begins now. So what has God saved me from? He saved me from a wicked generation. He saved me from my old life. He saved me from my sin. He saved me from the punishment and the bondage of it, but he also saved me to something. And this is the question that believers need to ask more often. Not just what am I saved from, but what am I saved into? I've been rescued and brought into a new life. I've been washed, yes, but I've also been renewed. And those two things are different and they're both valuable. To be washed means I'm not dirty anymore. And if I'm not dirty anymore, I can come into the presence of God. 
and I won't die. I can go and stand before him on the judgment day and the judge of all creation looks at me and says, I find no fault in you. That's going to happen to you guys. There will be an account that we have to give, an account for every deed done, but that's not the same as the great white throne of judgment. There'll be a judgment where they stand before the judge and he says, guilty, not guilty, clean, not clean, and he will call you on that day holy because of what Jesus did for you. That's huge. That's because of Jesus. But this isn't just about judgment day. It's about right now. What have I been saved to? So he washed me so I can stand before him and be clean, but he renewed me, he regenerated me so that I can be engaged in what he's called me to do. Be careful to engage in good deeds. We all need to understand the kindness that's been shown to us by God, but you have to learn how to respond to kindness. Can I ask you a question? Is there anybody on the planet that God did not demonstrate his kindness towards? No. But has everybody responded to that kindness? You see, the scripture says his kindness leads us to repentance. Has everyone repented? Was it because God wasn't kind to them? No, it's because they didn't receive it, so they didn't respond to it. At some point in your life, you responded to his kindness. But the problem is, we respond to his kindness from a place of absolute understanding that we brought nothing. When you first got saved, you were under no illusion. That was the most beautiful thing about getting saved is that you knew I need this. Nobody got, gets saved and says, well, finally, thank, thank God you found me. He says, look, now, now you're set. We all came understanding our own brokenness, understanding our need for a Savior. At least that's how you should come. But at some point in our lives, we might think, well, he doesn't need to be kind anymore. He, I don't need his mercy. I've received it and now I've moved on. Now I'm finally doing something on my own. But we need to understand that for the rest of our lives, we live in reaction to the great kindness of God. We live in reaction to his mercy. We live in reaction to his love. And that's why Paul says to Titus, that's how your people are going to be able to be kind and loving to the people around them is by remembering we were like them and he was kind to us. That helps, doesn't it? See, as long as you think you're better than somebody, you'll act like you're better than them. And in acting like you're better than them, not, you'll lift yourself up by pushing them down. But when you understand, I was just like you and I needed him to grant me some kindness and be merciful to me, you'll be merciful to them. When his kindness and his love appeared, he saved us. Then he says, I want you to tell these people this. This is a trustworthy statement. Remind them of this so that they will be careful to engage in good deeds. That's the part that is a disconnect for so many of us. How is it that by reminding us we were saved, not because of our works, how does it help us to be reminded you were saved, not by your works? Remind people of that so that they'll do good work. Sometimes we think that that doesn't make sense. Josh, you weren't saved because of your good works. I'm reminding you of this so that you'll go and do good work. 
what you're being reminded of is that he saved you and your, his love for you is not dependent on what you're doing now. It's dependent on him. But when you understand that he saved me, how did he save me? By renewing, by washing, and regenerating me by the Holy Spirit. When I understand that, now I know that when I step out into the good work, I'm not stepping out as me. I'm not stepping out in my strength. Now I'm understanding that I was regenerated by the Holy Spirit for such a time as this. This is my moment. This is what I was called for. He prepared me for this, and he prepared this for me. That's amazing. How, how would Esther know? In the Old Testament, Esther's uncle Mordecai says, perhaps you've come into the kingdom for such a time as this. And we use that in the New Testament, say, I've come into the kingdom for such a time as this. I mean, we talk about it like the kingdom of God, but he wasn't talking about the kingdom of God. He was talking about the kingdom of Persia. Perhaps you've come into the kingdom of Persia for such a time as this. Esther did not know that all her life, God had been preparing her to save her people. And God had prepared a place in the Persian kingdom for her. And you have to know that what you're going to do for God is not a result of how great you were, how powerful you were, how talented you are. What you're going to do for the Lord is a result of his great kindness. And he chose to give his spirit to you and wash you by that spirit, but renew and regenerate you by that Holy Spirit. So now I've got a task. I've got something to do. Be careful to engage. What does it mean to engage in it? Put your foot out there. Open your mouth. Step into the situation, just like I said earlier. Step into the situation and expect God to be part of it. Sometimes we're waiting for the good works to engage us, but that's not the pattern. That's not how it goes. You have to engage them. You have to step into it. You have to remember, I was washed for this moment. I was renewed for this moment. I was regenerated for this moment. He gave me his Holy Spirit for this moment. I've been prepared in Christ Jesus. When I got born again, I was recreated for this job for this task and this job and this task has nothing to do with why he loves me he loved me before I did it so certainly he's not going to love me because I did it he loved me when I did nothing but because he loved me I'm going to step into this with an open heart free like a like a kid trying something for the first time and just realize that he picked me not because of who I was, but because of who he was. We took our son to the playground yesterday. When we took him to, we, I don't know if you've been over to College Park School, but they have a lot of playgrounds. When I was a kid, you had one playground. Your school had a slide. Your school had swings. Your school had metal jungle bars that most of the kids would, would get seriously injured at at some point in your life, and that was the rite of passage, and but the kids at College Park School have like a thousand playgrounds. No, it's not that much, but it's a lot. Like our son just wandered around going, I want to play at the red side. I want to play at the green side. And he, we just rotated around the playgrounds, which is so fun. But the great, the coolest thing about bringing your little boy to the playground is watching him do things that scare his mother. <laughs> now, Tia is a good mom. And she doesn't stop her son from doing scary things. She just makes sure I'm close enough to catch him. <laughs> but it's so fun to watch him. 
Because at four years old, and he's just freshly four, at that age, he's under the illusion that he can just do anything. And he'll try anything, which is amazing. That's really cool to see as a dad. You always want him to push, you know, just go a little bit further. And there's a couple times I did have to catch him. And, and it was one time he went down the slide. He, I, I don't know how he did it. It was almost like if he had tried to do it, I don't know if he could have done it. But he ended up face first in a, in a foot deep mud puddle. <laughs> And I couldn't have been more proud of him at that moment. (laughs) Because he was engaging in it. He wasn't held back by fear. He was engaging in it. And somehow his trust for me was such that he stepped out and started walking where his feet could barely stretch to the next bar. And if he fell, it would be a long fall. But because I was standing next to him, he felt brave enough to do it. And that's the way we should feel with our Father. That there is, I've been, I'm empowered for the Holy, by the Holy Spirit for this moment. He chose me for this moment. So I'm going to do whatever he tells me, as crazy as it is, because he's with me. Because I've been shown kindness, I'm going to react to that kindness. I'm going to remind you of what happened when Zacchaeus, a short little weasel. Now, hey, I can say that because I am also vertically challenged. So I can talk about short. You can't. (laughs) All right? Some of you can't. We understand what it's like not to be that tall. But Zacchaeus was probably shorter than me by a bit. And uh, he's a short guy, had to climb a tree to see Jesus, but he's a tax collector. He's on the fringes of society. He's somebody that nobody trusts because he's betrayed his own people and he's working for the Romans. Not only is he working for the Romans, but he's stealing on the side to make extra Nobody likes this guy. And you know what? The scripture identifies the tax collector not just as somebody that nobody likes, but also as a sinner. They were cheating their own people. And when Zacchaeus is looking down in the tree, Jesus comes by and he says, Hey, Zacchaeus, come down. Hurry up. I'm coming to your house tonight. I'm coming to your house for dinner. I'm coming to your house. We're going to eat some food. And that was a, a scandalous thing because by doing that, Jesus was validating this guy. And we're good, holy people. We don't validate people like that. We need them to know that they're wrong. We need them to p- be pushed to the edges and the fringes. You, why? Because we're holy. We need them to be at the edges so that they know what they're doing is wrong. And when we stick their nose in it like a puppy who's been bad, then maybe they'll realize how bad they are. But you know what? That's not how Jesus did it. And he sits down and he has a meal with this guy. And in that culture, if you had a meal at somebody's house and you ate their food and you sat at their table, you accepted them. You put your approval onto them. In Loon Lake, we went through a season where the Lord, we, 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 we meet at different houses every Thursday on the reserve and in the town. And, and uh, every Thursday, we meet at a different house, and it's wonderful. We eat, we eat this food. We pray together. We, we study the Bible together. But um, this last year, I had noticed that the houses we were meeting at just got less and less because there were certain houses which people felt like this is an appropriate house for such an occasion. And I challenged our group and said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to find people. You're going to talk to your friends and your relatives that aren't a part of this group. And we're going to ask them if it's okay if we can come to their house. And we're going to have Bible study there. Because we want to bring Jesus to them. And it was amazing what God did in that time. 
We had people weeping that we would ever come into their house, that we'd eat their food. Because all of a sudden, as you come into someone's house and you eat their food and you sit at their table, what you're saying is, you're good enough for me. Because you're good enough for me, you're good enough for Jesus. I can't tell you the amount of people that were changed by that. Or the husband who'd be hanging out at the kitchen, leaning closer and closer with every scripture we read. Or the woman who had had cancer and had gone into remission, but her husband wouldn't let her go out of the house because he was afraid that she'd get sick again. So she wept and she said, I told God, if I can't come to your house, bring your house to me. Another woman who wept because she felt she was never good enough for these Christians. She felt if she would go into the church, she'd be judged. But instead, the church came to her house and ate her food and sat at her table and blessed her house. And she said, I'm good enough. These people think I'm good enough. So Jesus comes to Zacchaeus' house and he says, you're good enough. Zacchaeus can't stand it any longer. And he stands up. It's not appropriate, dude. Just sit down and let Jesus talk. But he stands up and he says, I've had enough. I've cheated a lot of people. I've stolen, but I repent and I'm going to pay you back. In fact, I'm going to pay back four times what I've stole. You know, Jesus didn't say to him, hey, man, look, I came here. So now you got you to pay back these people. If Jesus had told him to do that and it had just been, listen, this is the deal. We're going to let you off the hook if you pay people back. Do you know what Zacchaeus would have done? He would have paid people back exactly what he stole. But instead, the grace of God was working on him. And instead of paying back what he stole, he offered to pay back four times what he stole. That's the difference when God does something in someone's heart. And Jesus says this. After Zacchaeus makes that statement, Jesus says, today salvation came to this house. Today, salvation came to this house. He says it after Zacchaeus stands up. Jesus is saying this. Here, look at this, guys. Here's what I've done. I came to this house, and look what salvation has done. Look what my kindness has done. And when Zacchaeus stood up, Jesus acknowledged that as a work of God's salvation. God was rescuing Zacchaeus from his old way. When Zacchaeus responded to the kindness of Jesus, what was the kindness that Jesus had every right to condemn the man? When Jesus said he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone to that adulterous woman, Jesus, by that standard, could have picked up a rock. But he didn't. And he said, go and sin no more. And I genuinely believe that woman sinned no more. I genuinely believe that that woman responded to the kindness of God. Today, we have received great kindness. Never be so arrogant that you forget that God showed you mercy. Never be so puffed up that you forget that it was his kindness that saved you, not your good work. So if it's his kindness that saved us, it's his kindness that is still saving us. It's still working in our lives. Thank God I've been saved from hell, but he's still saving me from myself. He's still saving me from a worldview that's opposed to him. He's still saving me from these habits. He's still saving me from these, these outlooks on life. He's still saving me from my own problems because he is my savior. And when I respond to that, it makes me want to engage. He saved me. 
Not by, because of anything I did, but by the Holy Spirit washing me, Holy Spirit renewing me, and the Holy Spirit regenerating me. And that work is here for you today. You've been shown kindness. How will you respond to the kindness of God? The first response is to receive it. When you receive it, it leads you to repentance. How do you repent? You turn, you change your mind, you move in a different direction, you move in his direction. Then I am careful to engage in what God saved me to. Because I know that we could all just sit around waiting till we die and be saved from hell. But will you engage in what the Lord has saved you unto? What has he saved you from? Yes, but what has he saved you for? Here's the deal. He didn't save you because he needed you to do a job. He saved you because he loved you. But once he saved you, he gave you something to do. How do you respond to that kindness? It would do us well to remember that. I'm not saying that the rest of your life you just go, I bring nothing to the table. I'm but a worm. You're no, you understand you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Get off your belly and stand up and do something for him. Know who you are in Christ, but at the same time, don't ever begin to think that now it's okay. I needed your boost, Jesus. I needed you to get behind my truck and push it till I got out of the rut, but now it's okay. I got it from here. You still need him. And I still need mercy. And it's granted freely to me. How kind has he been to us? And how will we respond to that great kindness? Salvation came to us. He loved us. And because he loved us, he saved us. Let's be careful to engage in good deeds. I want to remind you what he said in the chapter previous. He said this. He said he gave himself for us so that he could have a people for his own possession. He wanted a people that he could call his own. He gave his life so that you could be his. That's what he really wants. More than he wants anything you'll do, he wants you. More than he wants any of your work, he wants your heart. But he says, people for his own possession, zealous for good works. Zealous for good deeds. Zealous means that you're passionate, you're excited about it. He said he purified it for himself, a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. You know, there's a lot of Christians doing good work, but they're not zealous about it. And the reason they're not zealous about it is because they're trying to do it themselves. Because it should be done, it needs to be done. God doesn't want you to just respond to need. He wants you to respond to his spirit. Yeah. So if you're just burning yourself out, doing something because it should be done, I want to remind you, and you've got no passion for you, I want to remind you what I've said over and over again in Philippians. It says this, it is a, it's God who's at work within you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He wants you to have the will. He wants people that are passionate. And the people that are passionate are the people that know they're his that are not constantly questioning, where do I stand with God? Here's how you stand with God. You stand righteous because of Jesus' blood. Now live according to your standing. Live according to who you are. 
Are you being careful to engage? Are you waiting to fall on your lap? Are you waiting for it to smack you in the face? Are you waiting for it to come out of nowhere, guys? He didn't save you based on what you did. So you can't keep saved by what you do. But he saved you for something. Perhaps you've been brought into Canada, into Saskatchewan, into Alberta for such a time as this. Perhaps you've been brought into the oil fields for such a time as this. Perhaps you've been brought into retail, into the service industry, into banking. Perhaps you've been brought into any of these things for this moment in this time. He's been kind to us. For the rest of my life, I could never repay that kindness. But for the rest of my life, I'm going to react to that kindness. I'm going to respond to that kindness. I'm going to live and say, thank you for that kindness. Here's my life. Here's my life. Here's my heart. Here's my passion. Here's my zeal. Are you zealous for the work of God? Jesus said that the zeal of the Lord had consumed him. Zeal for his house had consumed him, which means there was not one part left that hadn't been touched by the zeal of God. That only happens when you give yourself fully over to him. If you'll give yourself fully over to God, his zeal will consume you. And the good news, our God is a consuming fire and he burns up all the other stuff that's not supposed to be there. But thank God, as as God showed Moses in the desert that day, when God consumes something, when God burns in something, it itself is not consumed. He won't burn you out. He'll burn all the stuff that shouldn't be there, but you will be invigorated, revitalized, renewed by the fire of God. He burns in me, but I myself am not consumed, but he's consumed every other thing. And all that's left is a passion for his name. God wants people sold out, people for his own possession. That's my number one identity is I'm his. That's what he wanted. From the very beginning, that's all he wanted was me. That sounds egotistical, but you're included in that too. He wanted us. That's what he wanted. Do you know why he's got good work for you? Because he wants those other people too. It's his heart. He wants us. You could spend the rest of your time banging your head against the wall trying to figure out why he wants us. And guys, I can't give you a good reason other than he is love. And he loves his people. And he wants us. I have loved you. He says in Jeremiah, with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with my loving kindness. Will you allow your heart to be drawn by the kindness of God? Will you allow your heart to be open to the kindness of God? Will you allow yourself to receive it? Because the first step before you can do a thing is simply receiving. Jesus said to his disciples, freely you've received, now freely give. You can't freely give until you freely receive. And as long as you don't think you're worthy of it, you'll never think anyone else is worthy of it. As long as I put conditions on God's love for me, I'll put conditions on my love for you. If I can freely receive, I can freely give. Step one, freely receive. Step two, freely give. It's very simple today. A word like kindness is not some deep, deep, deep theological word that we've never heard before, but it is foundational. Stand with me as we receive it.